Thanks for downloading show 81 of the C-Suite podcast that's being recorded at the Cannes Lion International Festival of Creativity. My name's Russell Goldsmith and this afternoon I'm sat at the very cool and trendy Havas Cafe to record the first interview of the first episode that we're recording here. This one is going to be focusing on a few of the talks from the Lions Health Stage and so to kick things off I'm joined by someone who has actually been on the show twice before. Both of those times recorded here at Cannes so it's a warm welcome back to Zuleika Burnett, Executive Director for Creative and Innovation at Havas Life Medicom. Hello Russ. It's lovely to see you again. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Now, normally on these uh, special episodes from Cannes, um, I spend my time interviewing guests uh, about the talks and presentations that they're giving here at the event. Uh, This time it's a little bit different because Zuleika has actually been on stage earlier today with me, um, of all people. Now, uh, we presented on the topic of the power of the spoken word, and it was all about how podcasting can be used within healthcare marketing. Uh, So, Zuleika, how did you get on this morning, and how did your presentation partner do? (laughs) Well, you know what? It's such a, a big occasion to be here in Cannes, um, and every year it's it's um, getting better and better. And as speakers, it can be months of preparation, and we work really hard, haven't we, on those? Um, we did actually on those <laughs> slides, ridiculous. and um, and learning how we're going to time our talk. Such a big subject, we could talk about all day long, into twenty minutes is uh, is is one one feat. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, being on stage. Um, with you it was was amazing and um, oh, thank you very much obviously uh, the vibe in the room we had a, a big audience yeah didn't no we? it was very it was very good it was very good now as I said it's a little odd quizzing you about a presentation I gave with you but I thought this could be a great opportunity to talk about it from your perspective so let's go from the start because obviously this was actually your idea to, to come and present um, together on, on this topic here in Cannes what was it about the topic that you thought would make for an interesting talk yeah, I mean, one, one of the things that inspired me was when you interviewed me though, that couple of years ago and we sat in the cabana um, here at Cannes and we were quite relaxed, really. We had a glass of rosé and we Always didn't helps. stress out and we just got going. And I know it was only a 10-minute interview, but I thought, you know what, if I can do this, anyone can do this. And um, being really natural about the conversation and... Relaxing into it, I think, is the key, and, and maybe that's down to you, Russ, as a, <laughs> as a brilliant um, presenter and chair of this. <laughs> so um, that was a great experience um, doing that short interview with you. But what really hit home for me about the true power of podcasting was hearing an interview that um, you share with me, where you you interview Haiyan Zhang who's the Innovation Director at Microsoft Research Cambridge, about the project she worked on, where she created a device, a life-changing device, to help people with Parkinson's, and that was um, a project called Project Emma. Yeah, so that that clip, just for listeners' benefits, was um, from a series of podcasts we produced, actually, for Microsoft at their Future Decoded event. So actually, if you go onto the website, csweekpodcast.com, and search for uh, Microsoft, um, you should be able to listen to those. Their show's 54 to 56. That, I mean, that, so obviously in our, in our talk, we were, we were um, sharing that. that. That we called co-created content. So that's between designer, brand, and me, obviously, interviewing Haiyan, enabling her to tell hers and Emma's story in such a sort of engaging and captivating way. Where do you see podcasting working though specifically for healthcare brands then 
Yeah, well, where, where the huge opportunity is in health is, I mean, obviously it's a very relatively simple format to use as a communications tool, but we are really living in a, in a moment of shift and podcasting is becoming really hot, really. And, and the, the, all the statistics say, especially the, the Reuters study, the research they were running points to the fact that you know, about a third of, of people are listening to podcasts on a regular basis. And when you think about how in healthcare we need more tools, not just pills, just taking more pills is probably not the answer. We need to change behaviours. We need people to live more healthily, eat better, sleep better, you know, exercise, all of that. And it, it takes quite a big um, change to get people to change their behaviours. They need a purpose and a meaning to change their behaviours. So when we use something at all like storytelling, that can really bridge that gap between just, just understanding and turning that, because we all understand, um, but we don't do, turning that understanding to action and motivation. Yeah, and, and I guess we should say that, so like referring to that Reuters study, in the lead up to our talk, we used our good friends at YOLO Communications to do some research for us in the UK. So we actually um, surveyed podcast listeners and we found that 25% of them listen to specific podcasts around healthcare, which actually aligned to that, that Reuters study, didn't it? Because the Reuters one said that people listen to specific uh, topics, of which obviously healthcare was one of them, which is why we were doing the talk. What I found interesting, actually, out of that is of, of those 25%, 57% of them, over half of them, listen to podcasts around mental health and well-being, 51% on general healthcare. But then there was, there was topics that they were listening to of, of podcasts that were about things like asthma, cancer, Alzheimer's disease, cholesterol, arthritis, real, real specific topics. And then when we actually asked them why do they listen, we got some really interesting responses. Some, you know, naturally two-thirds was because it's, it's um, you know, giving them more information about the conditions. Yeah. But a lot of the responses came back because it gave them hope, positivity, but also a, a sense of community because there's, there's clearly, obviously, other people with similar conditions listening to that, to that content. I, I was just, you know, what were your thoughts on the findings of, the, of that research? Yeah, well, the, fi the findings are, are actually are not surprising to me. And in some ways... I find the fact that people are not necessarily um, looking for health content through podcasting channels, you know, two-thirds of people are not actively looking, is surprising. But at the same time, there are some podcasting um, series, like You, Me and the Big C, that has built a vast community. And it may be because, you know, it's a BBC podcast, the, the, the people involved, the people with cancer... Um, themselves involved in getting that off the ground were in the media big time and and got the attention and they themselves were presenters journalists producers and they knew what they were doing but that really captured the imagination the attention of, of a, a vast um, number of people the podcast was originally hosted by Deborah Lauren and Rachel and Rachel sadly died in September last year but the other two continued the podcast. Why they've been so, so successful is they're producing regular content and nothing seems to get in their way. The fact that they are themselves sick and going through um, you know, a terrible time uh, is actually, it's, it's almost like 
their body their bodies are, are weaker but their voices are stronger they're, they're just absolutely relentlessly getting their message out and it's so real they're talking about stuff that you don't hear you don't hear um, if you read articles about people living with cancer you don't really see it in the press that often and it's so raw and it's so real it's so compelling I, I think it's um, probably the, the most meaningful content and information if you were experiencing yourself cancer or you knew someone with cancer I think it, it, the information and the education is, is uh, priceless they, they've been everywhere they, they've interviewed um, Rachel's husband before she died about how he was hoping to, to cope without her and the effect of cancer on families. They visited the Francis Crick Institute and talked about specialists and about how cancer research is advancing. And they, they even recorded a podcast from hospital and they talked about end of life care as a, as a topic in its own right. So there's so much information and a lot of the time they're actually laughing and they're hilarious and, and some of the stuff they come up with is, is, is extremely funny and you, you, they're kind of almost laughing in the, in the face of um, you know, the negative. So, yeah, they're incredible. Well, it's interesting because that one, I, I guess, is, is an example. I mean, we talked about the, the interview uh, that I did with Hyann as, as co-created content. That's very kind of personal, telling it from you know, their own you know, experiences, which was an example I, I shared in the presentation um, from a, a podcast that I produced recently, actually. It was with DRPG talking about a internal communications campaign that they produced for Jaguar Land Rover that featured three video stories. But what was interesting, when, when we produced the podcast, we played some audio from one of those uh, stories, which obviously I played today in, in our presentation. It was um, from Matt, who's a senior manager at Jaguar Land Rover. He'd had a stress-related breakdown, which caused him to consider taking his own life. And we all agreed, actually, as, as, um, and so did Dagmar Mackett of the RPG, who actually produced the videos. We, we all ag agreed that listening to Matt's voice on his own without the supporting video content potentially made his story even more powerful. And it was interesting when we played that little clip in the audience, just seeing some of the reactions of, of the audience. How, how did it make you feel hearing Matt's you know, voice on his, on his own without any video content? Yeah, well, it's so, it's so much more powerful. I think you get that deep engagement. When you're not watching a, a visual, you, you're somehow more absorbed in the voice and the tone of the voice. And, and Dagmar describes this really well by saying that it's very difficult to fake your voice. And hearing him talking about his deep depression and how he coped with it, you can't help but be completely engaged. And that deep engagement is something that we lack in a lot of the communications we're producing. So in video, for example, our video content is getting shorter and shorter and more and more chopped up. And it's all about uh, short bursts of content that people don't have time cons to consume. And... You know, a lot of marketers are challenging themselves to make their content more easy to consume and therefore shorter, as opposed to thinking about deeper content that can be repeated or created yeah, over time. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, because obviously the stats that we shared talked about the fact that the average podcast is around 40 minutes and people are listening to like 80 to 90% of, of what they download. So it's a huge amount of time, isn't it, that, that you can sort of engage Absolutely. with as a brand? Absolutely. And, and 
you know, when you talk about behaviour change, if that was the goal of, of a podcast series you were about to produce, then that will take time. People don't change their behaviour overnight, as I was saying earlier. Um, so getting that continuous engagement, ongoing engagement, coming up with um, people to interview different people, visiting places, all the different audiences that you could involve in, in, uh, in your topic and becoming that authoritative voice in your topic and the expert um, is one of the, the key sort of opportunities, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, within our talk, we also heard from a healthcare podcaster themselves. So uh, that was Petra Velzaboa, who I spoke to ahead of CAN. She's got an incredible story herself. She was born and raised in a religious cult where she traveled the world but had no access to formal education when growing up. And she's since retrained now as a psychotherapist. She's an executive coach. She's a regular corporate speaker. But she presents, well, she actually presents two podcasts, one that's um, like a Spotify original. But the, the, the one I was talking to her about was her one called Adversity to Advantage where she gathers stories from people from a range of backgrounds who have struggled in some way with the aim to kind of, to kind of try and understand resilience. So I played a clip in that presentation. I'm going to play that now because I want to ask you about it um, in a second. So let's just have a listen to what, what Petra had to say. Before I ask my next question, I've, I've written down here, I, I wanted to read out one of the reviews about your podcast that someone wrote on iTunes, so I'm not trying to embarrass you or anything. But um, So this is from a Mary Wise, and she uh, posted the following, so I'm just going to read this out. I recently went self-employed, and um, it can be oh so easy to feel isolated and doubt yourself. Coupled with this, I'm facing my own demons with unhealthy indulgences in alcohol and food to fill the empty space I have, uh, I, the empty space I have with too much time on my hands whilst not feeling motivated to do anything about it. Petra unpicks the fears we all have, uh, but maybe uh, don't know how to express in such a down-to-earth manner. When you listen to her talk, you feel confident that she gets the listener and isn't just talking at you. So what I wanted to lead on was, why do you think your listeners subscribe to your show and what are the benefits that a healthcare podcast like yours can bring? So I definitely have like a no bullshit approach. Like I, I try and challenge people to, to do things, to take action in certain ways and, and to show them that they have personal responsibility to, to yeah. put things in place, to develop and move forward. Um, it's also, I'm very real about my own experience. So alcohol addiction is in my story. I'm 11 years sober. I was a parent of young children when uh, I was in the, the worst part of my alcohol addiction. So there was a lot of uh, shame and fear. And so I use my own lessons of what I've experienced and experimented with in order to develop my own mindset to get to where I am. So I guess every conversation is really coming from that place and hearing the listener and uh, you know just having that empathy for their experience while also trying to focus on what we call the messy middle because there's lots of stories of like it was hard and now it's great right and i want to know what what was the messy middle like what what did you do the day after your rock bottom what did you do the, the immediate weeks when you're still you know you want to change but you just don't know where to start and I think the listeners really connect to the practical value of how do I move forward from, from as Mary is saying, this, this place of not, lack of motivation and turning to addiction and all those sorts of things and realize, first of all, that you're not alone. And, and I know for myself, when I was in depression and alcoholism, there's so much shame that isolates us from other people. And one of the first things that can begin to change that trajectory is when we tell our story and connect to people because then we realize we're not alone 
Um, and there are practical steps that we can take to move our lives forward. And when you have that backup, it just makes it easier to, to begin that journey. Yeah. So kind of summarizing, I guess, then what and, and obviously related to the, to the presentation I'm giving at Cannes, what, what is it about podcasting that makes it so powerful as a storytelling tool? First of all, it might be the very first step you take in um, trying to change or to learn something. So you don't have to engage, you don't have to interact. You can simply put your head, and I did this myself, and there's podcasts that I've listened to that have helped me through the darkest times that were about mindset, about developing myself, about health, mental health, all those things. Put your headphones on, go for a walk, get some movement in, and, and just re-brainwash your brain. That's really what you're doing. Because in this world of noise and technology, if you're not making a conscious effort to fill your, your mind and your soul with things that are meaningful, it's gonna get filled up anyway with, with noise, with notifications, with news, with negativity. And so I feel like podcasting has just been a lifeline in, in taking that first step uh, to, to fill our brain with actually what's, pos what's possible and what's positive in our lives. Listening to, to Petra and relating this back to healthcare marketing, where do you see podcasting sitting in the comms mix? Gosh, now that's a question. I'm not sure I have the answer straight off the bat. Um, thing about Petra's story, it, it, it's her own personal story that got her podcasting. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, one could argue that if she hadn't had um, those experiences... Um, she wouldn't have started talking about them. And, and strangely, what I love about it is the fact that it's something that you, you can't predict. It's that unpredictability about where a good story might come from. And actually, the, the personal stories that are the things that are so compelling about podcasting. So without Petra, actually, her, her podcast wouldn't exist, if you see what I mean. I mean, I know this is like a, a really basic thing to say, but it's because it's so authentic, that's exactly the point. Well, I think that's the whole point we were making, wasn't it, with the fact that we heard various different, or we played different examples of clips that either I've interviewed or, or that you know, others like the, you, know, you being the big C. And I think ac across all of them, the consistency was that these are real people telling real stories in their own words that's that that whole thing about the power of the spoken word that's what we were saying wasn't it that, yeah exactly and you don't have to be um, a really good presenter you don't have to be a journalist that's lucky <laughs> for me <laughs> um, you just need to have a great story yeah, to tell absolutely and um, I think the thing about healthcare is it, it's it's rich with personal stories stories about hope in the face of despair about compassion in the face of suffering or courage in the face of adversity all those stories that really connect and you know inspire other people uh, it's, it's just human you know it's about being human and I think that's just the brilliant thing about it so the call is to healthcare brands to do more podcasting and get those stories told yeah I think so I think it's uh it's it's not exactly the most obvious channel for healthcare but with such a huge opportunity with so many audiences from doctors, patients, nurses, patient advocates, when there are so many people that could, um, could talk about their experiences, whether it's 
you know, in, on the front line of health or whether it's someone suffering from a chronic disease, whatever it might be. There are a plethora of channels and ideas there, so why not make the most of it? Good opportunities. Uh, so, yeah, that's the call. Go out and do it. Do more of it. Listen, uh, Zuleika, it was a pleasure uh, presenting with you this morning. And thank you so much for spending even more time with me this afternoon here at the uh, the lovely Havas Cafe. I better give them a plug because we're drinking their drinks at the moment. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, hopefully you'll come back on the podcast once again. Definitely. Thank you, Russ. And um, I think that we deserve a nice glass of rosé now. That's exactly what we're going to do. Uh, we are back after this quick break. YOLO Communications' proven market research and insight results give you invaluable information to make informed decisions. Surveys, social media and audience intelligence anywhere across the world. Call 0207 7030 39000 or email info at yolocoms.com to find out how we can help drive your marketing and communications. So we've uh, now moved to the Eco House of PR, who are kindly hosting us uh, once again for a fourth year here at uh, Cannes Lions. And I am joined by uh, Claire Gillis, International CEO of WPP Health, uh, who presented earlier this morning at the festival on the topic of China and the health explosion, uh, where she was on stage with Dr. Yun Wu, uh, one of the earliest uh, successful biotechnology entrepreneurs in China. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, now, how did the talk go this morning? Oh, it was really interesting. We had a full house. I'm not surprised because when you look at uh, the Chinese market, there's so much going on, so much innovation that um, I'm not surprised there was interest to come and hear about it. We could only cover a small fraction of it in the half an hour that we had. But we try to give a flavor of what it was like doing business there and probably more importantly, what it's like actually being a patient in China, because it's totally outside our term of reference, actually, for you and I. Yeah. Well, well, actually, that, that leads nicely on to the first question I want to ask you, actually, because in your synopsis of your talk, it said that by 2030, the number of Chinese citizens um, over 60 will be greater than the entire US population. So that's obviously going to excite some people in terms of growth opportunity, I guess. But at the same time, that's only going to lead to an increasing healthcare burden too. So how's the healthcare system going to cope with that increasing number of patients? Well, as we saw this morning, I think there needs to be, or there is planning to be, an entire revamp of the Chinese healthcare system. It has to, because as you say, A, it can't cope, and B, just getting the people through the system is problematic. The reason for that is there is no primary care service in China. So when you're a patient and you think you're sick, you probably self-diagnose and then you, you ping around the system until you find a specialist that can actually diagnose what you have. So the implications of that are that it's a longer time to diagnosis, which is tough, you might have a problem that's asymptomatic. You might be diabetic, in which case by the time you get treated, the damage has been done and you can't reverse it, which has an impact later on in the system because it will cost the Chinese government or the insurance companies more to fix that, that long-term problem. So how do we go about addressing those issues then? Oh gosh, well... We're at the the festival of creativity and communication. It's about making sure that we tailor our messages so that we can educate people to take responsibility for their own health care and to get a better outcome. Another slightly unique thing about the Chinese population um, in in healthcare is that 
there are fewer doctors than there needs to be for the population. So, fun fact, a Chinese doctor will see between 160 and 200 patients a day. A day. So they have no time to, to communicate properly. So we have to find different ways to communicate, educate, change behaviours. So it's about creativity, it's about tailoring your communications, it's about using data, tech. I guess it's about everything that WPP Health is about, which is creatively transforming health. And how's the conversation been like here and, and since, the, I know you only presented it this morning, but you know, has there been much feedback? Huge, huge interest because... Of course, for those companies outside China, they, they want to know how to do it, well, how to do it and how to do it effectively. And there's something about any country that you go in, into that you're culturally nuanced, but you can take the best practice from around the world and apply it in that culturally relevant space. Right. Well, one of the questions I did want to ask, and this is something obviously that gets discussed quite a lot here at Cannes, is the impact on data. Like a lot of obviously campaigns and with the number of people obviously we're talking about and I'm, and I'm guessing having to share personal information, what will be the impact, do you think, from you know, any changes that are going to happen? Well, for, from um, the Chinese population is just as concerned as we are about data and data privacy. The kind of difference culturally there is when you don't have a healthcare system and you can't pay for a healthcare system and the way of getting better healthcare is by, by providing your data so it's personalized, actually it's a different kind of relationship. So you're, you know what you're handing over and you know what you're getting back in return. So that gives us lots of opportunities to look at data, look at patterns, look at personalizing um, the healthcare that we deliver and the communications we deliver so that we can break through that kind of inertia around health. Right. And so final question then, what about the future? How do you see uh, things developing? Well, for China, it's really exciting. This is the time to be in there and making things happen. So, you know, eternally optimistic that actually what we'll get is those pockets of innovation which will drive the, the transformation of healthcare. We just need to make sure that we can, we can communicate well and we can move the needle faster. Okay. Now, I can't uh, let you go, um, obviously, without asking you one final question. Actually, as I said that was the, fu the final <laughs> question. There's one more, because uh, obviously Cannes is not just about all the presentations, but it's about awards. It's about awards. Well, uh, as well, yeah. And I understand uh, you had some success last night. We did. We, uh, our Sudler Milan team, the international team out of Sudler Milan, won the young lion excellent so they were super thrilled we all celebrated last night and we'll be celebrating again tonight well you're, you're looking very good for it if you're <laughs> if you're out late you know i'm, I'm guessing you know a few glasses like of yeah. you just got to keep going oh that's tremendous well uh, for, for now thanks so much uh, claire gillis thank you for uh, taking the time out to join us at the thank eco you so house much. of the Cheers. thank you you're listening to the c-suite podcast to listen to all previous shows in the series you can either visit csuitepodcast.com follow us on soundcloud or subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or in any one of your favorite podcast apps. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. 
So our final guest on this episode is Attila Jansson, Chief Marketing Officer for Merck Consumer Health Brands at PNG Health. Now, Attila presented earlier today on the Health Inspiration stage here at Can Lions, uh, looking at how we should be talking to doctors and other healthcare professionals to improve the engagement that they have with our brands. Welcome to the podcast, Attila. Thank you for inviting me. No, pleasure. Now, thank you for, um, for coming down to the House of PR here at, uh, as well. Uh, now, you started your talk this morning uh, saying that the pharma industry makes the mistake of treating doctors as customers, not humans. Uh, why is that happening? <laughs> I think it's a mixture of things. The first thing is that uh, on all the companies in the industry, there's a certain pressure for achieving the results, you know, the sales numbers, profit numbers, and only few companies are able to separate themselves and focus on the, the, the fact that there's a human inside and the humans recognize the human side of the doctors, of the healthcare professionals in, in general, right? So our mantra has been also um, the past five, six years with PNG Health to um, prioritize the brand, the brand building, recognizing uh, the doctor and the healthcare professional as the target group of the brand rather than your customer and your business partner to make money with and everything else then solves itself. Right. Well, in your presentation, you shared some examples of how um, P&G Health, you know, working with your, your Merck legacy brands, uh, nurture emotional connections with healthcare professionals, which was how it was um, you know, presented. Can, can you talk us through that? Yeah, sure. So um, over the years, we have actually um, captured Let's say there are three consequences out of uh, humanizing your relationship, if I may call it that way, with, uh, with doctors. One is um, brand over business, um, that you consider the healthcare professional, the doctor, as you consider the consumer, the target group of your brand building, right? And then, um, as soon as you switch to that, you realize their humanness, and it's not only about proving, convincing, making your point, stimulating the left brain, but it's just as much about also uh, evoking some sympathy, feeling closer, attracted, feeling understood, which is the right part of the brain, right? And so a lot of the executions, a lot of the conversations we've had with doctors have been derived from recognizing that this is actually brand building with healthcare professionals more than anything else. And you know, move yourself and the, and the organization away from the uh, pressure of business, uh, you know, in, 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 you know, sales and uh, prescriptions and uh, much more focused on how your image, your perception is uh, improving over time and course correct via market research if needed um, uh, on that front. Well, I want to come on to the market research in a second, but what are the key traits that, that you look for that that helps you know stories being told and and, and actually sort of communicating. Yeah. So the, the the brand over business is the overarching umbrella. Underneath that, we had two themes. I got to talk this morning. Um, one is putting the focus on the patients. So a lot of the time, the healthcare industry actually again because of the pressure to do business, talks about the company and how great the company is, the products and ingredients of the products and how they exactly work, or you know, in the hopes of scoring with the doctor, bragging, praising them, the focus has to be on the patient. 
real patients, real stories, their wishes, expectations, maybe worries and complaints, which then immediately brings that brand much closer to the heart of the doctor because day in, day out, they are basically living the patient stories, right? So anything that you want to converse on, if it's going to help them in their day-to-day uh, -day life, needs to be revolving around patients. And the second aspect is um, delight, don't drain. A lot of the, um, the, the materials, supporting materials, I quoted actually 80% of materials that are shared with doctors are um, graphs. So they are data being expressed in charts with graphs. So it's graph after graph after graph that drains the energy out of them. And honestly, if you ask a pharmacist or a doctor, the reason why they have become not a mathematician or an engineer is because they wanted to interact with people, help people, right? So they don't want to be drained and bogged down by data. They would much rather also be uh, delighted, for lack of a better wording, surprised positively, right? Great design, a visual identity that's recognizable, pleases them, but has also the impact. Um, rem reminds them of a certain treatment category so it doesn't um, get lost, you know, in the, in the sea of similars. Um, as well as, I think delighting has also the aspect of educating without burdening, right? So, for example, on Neurobion, this is our vitamin B proposition, we have shifted gears and put the spending against replicating what the patients day-to-day -day may be experiencing due to lack of vitamin B and uh, due to lack of nerve care that they're receiving. And a doctor or a pharmacist or any healthcare professional in, 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 in that arena um, having by themselves notice how difficult it is if you lose the sensitivity on your fingertips to unbutton your shirt when you come back from work or in the morning when you're buttoning your shirts, right? Or what it feels like to have tingling, they, patients would call it ants walking on my hands. So we try to replicate with, um, with um, the, a, a setup, it's kind of hard to verbalize it without a visual I recognize, right? But makes it much more um, uh, powerful for them and would be helpful also uh, for the healthcare professional to recognize once this feeling, this perception actually is uh, verbalized by the patient that has walked into their practice. So those are the two pieces coming much closer to the patient and their stories. And the second one is always have in mind that they're humans, so they want to be delighted and not drained. Well, may maybe if it's okay, we can share some of the uh, slides from your presentation and we'll put that on our show notes on, on the podcast and we'll, and we'll share that so people can see, can see exactly what you were describing. Great idea. Um, now, you mentioned uh, just before about some market research to back all this up. Can you, can you go into a little bit more detail on that? Sure, market research is very, very important when you are going for a shift in your uh, strategy, a direction, at taking a choice to emotionalize your, uh, your messaging and go after um, having a brand image that has also emotional components. You need to, you better track yourself as to how you're making improvements, right? So you're not burning money and you're actually making an impact on getting the doctors, getting the healthcare professionals warmed up to that uh, treatment category, make them familiar with the signals and symptoms that they need to diagnose. So in our case on the Merck Consumer Health Brands and now with P&G Health, market research is a, plays a pivotal ro uh, role in um, tracking very frequently how individual pieces of conversation or messages that are out there, they're perceived, what is their impact, what is the response of the uh, healthcare professionals. And um, 
I mean, from one perspective, it's for the company reassuring to know that the, um, the strategy is working and the investment they're making is actually making an impact in the marketplace. And the other, um, on the, from the other side, from the perspective of the healthcare professionals, you want to actually have consistent messaging so they don't get uh, distracted or you, know, you don't taint your own message, so to speak, by doing something that maybe that's not hitting the tonality 100%. Similarly f with consumers, especially um, in the era of uh, digital and social media, uh, consumers are suspicious for lack of a better wording, right? So you need to have teams out there in the marketplace that are wholeheartedly behind those brands and that you're recommending because you would recommend to your sister, to your daughter, to your mother, to your neighbor, right? Unless you have this kind of genuine belief in what you're doing, it gets uh, picked up out there. In those very few cases where maybe you may have not hit the right tonality, market research then steps in as a helping hand and feeds back immediately. Now, you know, within a matter of hours sometimes that some of the content may not have been received as well or people who are on the side of the brand and they are your endorsers, they may have fed back slightly negatively. That's a fantastic opportunity given by market research to then co-create, co-shape, uh, together with your consumers and we benefit from it a lot. Brilliant. Well, there's a lot of stuff there to, to take in, but I, I want to uh, ask you one final question, which kind of, I guess, summarizes everything that you've been saying here. And, and that is, does brand building actually uh, work for, for reaching doctors? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does work in the sense that uh, in different categories, we have been able to raise great awareness for the category with doctors. And so with that, I'm truly convinced that we have been able to reach out to millions of people that otherwise may not have been diagnosed, for example, uh, in the mixed pain area, we talked about it this morning, or the example I gave uh, in the vitamin B area. So from that perspective, it's doing good uh, out there for, for people. And you know, for the others that are after knowing how does it build your business, the market shares, of course, we are after uh, showing proving first that the brand building does work with doctors so that the image of the brand steps out of the sea of similars in each and every category that we compete in. And then I shared some of the results from Brazil, India, Philippines, uh, that you know we have grown between 30 to 60% over a period of only three years, thanks to prioritizing brand building over other priorities with healthcare professionals, doing good to people, but also helping the brand to grow. That's tremendous. Um, Attila Jansen, thank you so much for, uh, for joining the show. Um, in fact, that actually wraps up this episode from uh, CanLion. So just a quick thank you again to Havas Cafe for hosting us in part one and to Eco for hosting us here for the uh, second two interviews in their house of PR. Uh, don't forget, you can listen to all previous shows on the series by going to the website at csuitepodcast.com and you can subscribe to the feed on the likes of iTunes, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps just by searching for the C-Suite podcast. Um, if you do, please do give us a positive rating and review as that helps us climb those business podcast charts. Of course, if you want to get involved in the show in any way, you can contact us using the contact form on the website or if you want to reach me, you can do that via Twitter using at Ross Goldsmith. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.